forward to tonight uh, and to the Easter cantata. So thank you. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Colossians uh, chapter 2, no, Colossians chapter 1, where we will continue our study uh, of Paul's epistle uh, in verse 24. Now, as you turn there, just let me remind you that we have just come through that great uh, Christ hymn in verses 15 through 23, what we call sort of a, a parenthetical or spontaneous moment of praise uh, where Paul proclaimed the preeminence of Jesus as the, the Lord of redemption, uh, the, the one who is the perfect sacrifice, the one who has reconciled his people through the blood of his cross, but also as the Lord of creation, the preexistent, eternal one. And we said that, that given that reality, given that knowledge that he is both of those things, that he is the eternal Lord, and he is the one who has taken on the sacrifice of his sins. Given that, and we can see that he certainly is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. Uh, like Paul, uh, like those disciples along the road as he rode into Jerusalem at that triumphal entry. Like the very rocks that would have sung his greatness had those others not sung on that day. We too join our voices to worship one who is so great. We, we present our very lives, as Paul says in Romans 12. Every moment of our lives is an act of worship to this one who is so great, this one who is so worthy of our praise, who has done all for us, sinners like us. Now, Having, on at least a literary level, sort of closed that parenthesis, that, that moment of praise, Paul picks back up where he had left off uh, in verse 13, back before that moment of worship. Uh, and you'll remember as he introduced the letter, he has expressed his thankfulness for the Colossians in verses 3 through 8. Uh, and he has recounted his prayer for them in verses 9 through 14. And it kind of came to a head there in verse 10, kind of a, a good summation. He says that, that he had prayed for them so that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in, all, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now that's a good sort of summary statement of where he had been. And now uh, in verse 23, he had mentioned himself as a minister of the gospel uh, and so what he's going to do today is he's going to explain just exactly what that ministry has looked like towards the church, towards the, that first century church where Paul uh, has been laboring, where he has been working. Uh, now, that's, that gets us caught up, okay? So before I just continue preaching this, let's actually read it and let's get it before us, okay? So beginning in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he has powerfully worked within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knitted together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to your word, we confess our weakness. Uh, We confess our, our inability to interpret and to apply this word apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. Uh, And so we ask that in these moments that he might be at work in us, uh, reminding us of our desperate need and holding up to us the only Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning uh, by asking you a relatively simple question, though it's one that's not always easy to answer. Um, What is the purpose, the mission of the church? Again, not, not a very difficult question to ask, but as we begin to think about it, we recognize that it's not always an easy question to answer. Um, Really, given that the church's mission and our own as individuals uh, are irrevocably tied together, uh, we really could ask, what is the mission and the purpose of any Christian ministry? Whether it's the church, whether it's you as an individual, what, what does Christian ministry, godly ministry, really look like? What are the marks of it? What are the essentials, if we are to label it that way, to say that it is Christian? What makes a church ministry particularly Christian? Now, I'm sure you already have probably many things in your mind that you might give by way of answer. And you may be even thinking that this is not a question that is all that difficult at all. But truthfully... Uh, As we look out at the world today, it seems that even in the church, even in Christian circles, among those who would call themselves followers of God, there is no shortage of answers, no shortage of opinions when it comes to this particular question. As we look out at the various churches, the various denominations that are all around us, Uh, We all tend to to do things just the least bit different, right? And many of us see our mission out to the world or to our people or wherever in in different ways. As we think about all the the various parachurch organizations that have sprung up over the years, and what I mean by that are, are organizations that are not directly associated with the church but are doing Christian ministry, right? Many of them look very different from each other. Then you have the the whole new phenomenon of podcasts and websites and social media where you can get a whole host of things that are supposedly Christian. They claim to be Christian. But my point in all of this is that as we think about all of these various options and resources that are out there, the problem 
is that many of these entities are diametrically opposed to one another in what they say and in what they teach and what they claim to be truly Christian. You know, one group may say that the purpose of Christian ministry is to make disciples. Another may claim it is to seek, you know, personal and individual enlightenment and blessing. Only that. Uh, We might say that the purpose of Christian ministry is to, to pull people out of the world, kind of put them in communes or in communities separate from government, separate from non-believers, while another claims we we must all go get out in the world. We must get all that we can now in this life with very little thought to what is to come next. And then we haven't even hit on the whole idea of a Christian lifestyle. Some will tell you that we're supposed to live like this. Some will tell you that we're supposed to live like this. My point is, is that there's a whole lot of groups saying all of these things, all of these scenarios that I've just given you are arguments that have been had in the church over the years. And so my point this morning is all of us should be wise. All of us should be discerning when we come to what supposedly is Christian ministry. All of us should ask whether it is of this church whether it is of me as your pastor, whether it is of the podcast that we listen to or the parachurch organization that we're involved in, how Christian is this? Is this truly godly ministry? Not just does this make me feel good, not just does this sound Christian, how Christian truly is it? Now the question is how do we know? And as we turn to our passage before us today, what Paul does here is he gives us some guidelines, okay? Now, first, I would say to you, requirement number one to be a Christian ministry is what we just said. As we turn to Scripture, requirement number one, okay? The Bible. That's where we start. We're rooted there. It's no coincidence that the Westminster Confession of Faith begins not with the doctrine of God, but it begins with the doctrine of Scripture. Okay? We have to start, we begin in the Word. And as we turn there today, Paul, he doesn't give us an exhaustive list by any means, but I would suggest to you that what he gives us are essential elements of any godly ministry. This will not be all of the things that are involved, but if these things are not involved, then we better back up and we better look again, okay? And what I want you to do, this is your assignment, okay, for this time that we have together. I want you to think, how are we doing at New Albany Presbyterian Church at fulfilling our God-given ministry? How am I doing as your pastor? What about those things that you take in outside of this place? Where do all of them fall on the spectrum of godly ministry? Then in your own life, as you seek to fulfill the call, the role that God has given you, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, wherever you are, is it rooted in these essential principles that Paul gives us here? Well, that's the question before us. Before we get there, I do have to give credit where it is due. Uh, the outline that I'm using today, and I, I hope you got one because it's, it's fairly complex, but it's, they're on the windows here and there's some in the back. 
Uh, but the outline that I'm using actually came from a little devotion book that I found. It's by R.C. Lucas, uh, and it's his outline. And I normally don't make a habit of doing that, but sometimes when it's not broke, you just don't fix it, okay? And this is a good one. So I, I'm using his, his headings, and I'm filling in with my own thoughts underneath, okay? Um, so what is godly ministry? Let's look at it together. First in this passage, I want you to notice godly ministry is a twofold ministry, okay? It's a two-fold ministry. First, it's, it's a gospel ministry. Now, it may sound like I'm talking in all the same terms, but, but recognize what I mean here. Godly ministry is gospel ministry. In other words, its primary aim is to proclaim the whole counsel of God, all of Scripture, and to proclaim the Savior and Redeemer that we find on every page. Look at verse 25 and 26 again. Paul says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to do what? To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. His purpose is to proclaim the word of God, the mystery of Jesus. Now, it's important to note that, that Paul is most likely taking sort of a jab here at those false teachers who were causing problems at Colossae. Remember, we, we introduced a little bit of this back at the very beginning of our study. But again, we don't know exactly who these false teachers were, but we do know that in the first century church, uh, there were Gnostic believers. It was a Gnostic heresy that they fought throughout. And there were Jewish believers who claimed to have uh, an exclusive, secret, mysterious knowledge that you had to have in order to be saved. They, they had the knowledge exclusively. It came to them. And in order for you to be truly Christian, truly a follower of God, then you had to be a part of this Gnostic heresy. You had to know what they knew. And so when Paul says there, when he mentions the word mystery, both in uh, chapter 1 and then over in what we read in chapter 2, he's doing it very intentionally. He's trying to get at the heart of what those teachers are saying to the Colossians. And notice, at least initially, Paul seems to affirm that sort of mystery idea. He says, yes, in former days, in the Old Testament, there was a sense of mystery as God's people waited for, as they anticipated what God would do. The, the whole book of Hebrews is a book about this. You remember he talks in that book about the shadows that were in the past, the, the sketch that we see that, that is not clear, fully drawn yet. Remember, and what, is Paul, what does Paul say here, and what does the book of Hebrews ultimately draw our eyes to? Where is the sketch, where is the shadow finally taken away and revealed in its full form? It's revealed in Christ, right? Rather than events that we look to, now we are looking to a person. One who has been revealed by God, not in a secret way, not, not just to an exclusive group, but has been revealed through the word to all of the saints, 
right? Now, certainly, God is the one doing the revealing. He's the one that is presenting it to us. But it's not an exclusive knowledge in the sense that if you don't come to New Albany Presbyterian Church, then you're not going to know the true Jesus. You're not going to know. It's here for all to see. All of you are smart people. All of you can read. And so it's here in his word that he reveals Christ to us. And so gospel ministry is redemptive historical. It goes all the way back to the beginning. But essentially, it is Christ-centered. He is the one whom we proclaim. Now, friends, this is something that we can apply immediately to our lives and to our situations, okay? Hear me here. The goal of church ministry, the goal of preaching as I stand here right now, the goal of any truly Christian organization or event is not primarily to bless you. It's not. We're not, we're not here primarily to bless you or me. The goal is not social reform. The goal is not a political or personal agenda. No, the goal is always to proclaim Christ. Now, in him, we may address all of those things. Through him, I may be blessed and you may be blessed. Through him, we may see social reform. Through him, I don't know, I'm not even going to go to the last one. Through him, a lot of things will happen. But it is only through him. And so as you look at me, as you look at this church, as you look at the church down the street, as you open up your podcast and you listen to it, if it claims to be Christian and it is not declaring to you the truth of who Jesus is, if it is, does not mention Jesus, then friends, it is not truly Christian. He is at the center of all we do. Secondly, under this first point here, Notice in that twofold ministry, it's gospel ministry, it's also servant ministry. And again, friends, as you look out at the world, this separates real Christian ministry from so much of what we see. It is servant ministry first to God. And that correlates with, with what we have seen. It's his word. It's his task. It's his call. All things are from him and through him and to him. We are servants to God. Paul says that over and over again. That he and Timothy, he and Barnabas, they are slaves to God. Slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are servants to God first. But secondly, it is service to God's people. Notice in verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings, for who? For your sake, he says. Go over to 2.1. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for who? For you. And for those at Laodicea, God's people there. It's a servant ministry to God's people by presenting them mature, by warning them, by teaching them in truth, by growing them in faith. Also by building up the body. In verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, I encourage. 
love for one another. He gives them assurance. He gives them hope in the knowledge of God. Now notice, who does godly ministry not serve? Not the teacher, not the pastor, not the individual, not necessarily the church in the sense that we are upholding New Albany Presbyterian Church out before the world and saying, hey, look at New Albany Presbyterian Church. No. It's not we who are being held up. You remember John the Baptist, he says, he must increase Jesus and I must decrease. Now, in context, you recognize that at that moment, John the Baptist had a thriving ministry. People were coming from all over to be baptized by John the Baptist. And what did he say? I must decrease. Christ must increase. It's a servant ministry to Jesus. So for us, we all must be servants to him primarily, not to ourselves, to him and to others. Now look, we could, we could stop there for a long time and talk about the things that we see out in the world. But friends, the reality is, is a lot of what's going on as Christian ministry right now is nothing but a service to self and to us, to a preacher or to a church or to an organization or to a group of people. It is everything but service to God and to God's people. And so as you look for true Christian ministry, it better serve the Lord and it better serve the good of God's people. So, it's a twofold ministry. Secondly, in our big outline, I want you to notice uh, that godly ministry has a twofold proclamation. Now look, I've gotten ahead of myself, which is not unusual. You recognize that that's true all the time. But, because we've already said that it is intended to proclaim Christ, but specifically here, notice, as he proclaims Christ, what is he specifically saying that he says about Jesus? It is Christ in you, verse 27. The mystery that he proclaims is Christ in you. Now, I want you to think about that from any Jewish person's perspective, any reader of the Old Testament perspective. And that's all of Paul's audience, because that's all they have is the Old Testament, right? They're reading the Old Testament. This idea of Christ in you, of God in the flesh in you, and he has made that clear in 15 through 23 that Jesus is God. So when he says he is in you, that would have been a alien and amazing foreign idea to any of these that Paul is writing to. God lived in the tabernacle. God lived in the temple. God was outside of me. He was out there. I went to God to find him and to worship him. He, he lived in a cloud. He lived in a, 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 a fire of pillar, pillar of fire. Sorry, I'm getting, getting too fired. Bring it down just a couple notches. Um, he was outside of us. But no longer, Paul says. No longer is he just out there. Now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he actually lives in the heart of his people. No longer was the law merely external, as we read in the Catechism, this, the, the Ten Commandments, right? But now, no, it's written on the hearts of those who belong to Christ. Because he is within them. Lucas says in his commentary, he says, this is the, the richest 
experience of God humans can have. Now you think about the Jews, they had experienced the richness of God in a lot of ways. They had encountered him on Mount Sinai, he had gone before them, he had battled for them, he had been near to them in a way that he was not near to any other people on the earth. But now in Christ, the the closeness, the nearness, the intimacy that we have with him, it is on a completely different level. He is in us. Um, over the past two weeks, I have had the, the privilege to do FCA, uh, first at New Albany and then at Myrtle. I've kind of been like on the FCA tour. You know how pastors used to like tour, like go around and preach? I've been on the FCA. I don't know if that was not funny, but um, I thought it was going to be funny. Uh, but what I did in both places was I, I talked about Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by flesh and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? So we talked about purpose. Where we talked about identity, we're in Christ. He has died, he has gave himself for us. Talked about purpose in him. We have a new purpose. We go out and we live for him. We talked about assurance. Well, friends, that, that whole idea of being in Christ... It hits all of those things. He is in us. So now our purpose, now our, our lives, they're different than they were before. Now we go and we live for him as we've said. And how is it that he is now in us? It's because he has loved us and he has given himself for us. He has died. Here, Paul is basically, as he says, Christ in you is shorthand for the entire gospel. It's the entire gospel message in three words. Christ in you. How did he get there? He died. He rose again, and now he is alive in your heart. And what does that mean for you? You go out and you live for him. And what else does it mean? It means you have sweet and precious and unshakable assurance He is not going to leave you. And so gospel ministry, it proclaims the reality of Christ's life and death and resurrection, that he is now alive in our hearts. And secondly, under that second heading, see, I told you it was confusing. He also, that twofold proclamation is Christ in you, and it is also the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Because Christ is in us, We have a hope that leads to maturity. We have a hope that leads to edification, to sanctification, even in this life. And we know it will happen. Why? Because Christ is in me. We declare to folks a present hope in the midst of tornadoes, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of wars and and things seemingly falling apart. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved, not because we're strong, but because he is in us. The one who is alive in us, he will not fail. So we have a present hope, but it's also an eternal hope, right? A hope for the future, a consummated kingdom, an eternity in his presence, the presence of our Savior, where there will be no more death and no more sin and no more suffering. I want you to note that that what Paul is presenting here is he says the hope of glory. This is not a, oh, let's get out of this world and not be a part of this world anymore type of gospel. No, this is the hope of complete 
reconciliation, a new heavens, a new earth, where the triune God will ever reign. True Christian ministry, it proclaims Christ in you, and it proclaims the hope of glory. Hope for now, hope for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. Thirdly and finally in this passage, notice that godly ministry has a twofold qualification. And again, as we look at the ministries around us, what is it marked by? And this is going to separate us. Real Christian ministry is going to be separated by this from so much of what we see. Twofold qualification. Gospel ministry is marked by fellowship in Christ's suffering. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it to you again. Godly ministry is marked by fellowship in Christ's suffering. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. For the sake of his body. That is the church. Now friends, we're supposed to be in point number three at the end of the sermon. But this is a difficult verse. Right? We read it and we think, what in the world is Paul talking about here? Because obviously there was nothing lacking or deficient about Christ's work. There, there was nothing lacking in his suffering on the cross. He and only he could bear the full weight of God's judgment. And he certainly did that as he was crushed by his Father. And so Paul, here, he cannot be adding to that saving work that Christ has done on our behalf. Instead... Having so closely identified God and his people, Christ in you, I would suggest to you that what Paul is doing is he's saying that the suffering Christ's people experience is not merely like Christ's suffering, but in some sense it is his suffering. And that's a fine distinction. Did you get it? What we're saying here is not merely that our suffering as God's people will be like Christ's suffering. But what we're saying is that our suffering in some way is His suffering. Let me give you an example that I think will help. You remember on the road to Damascus, Saul sees Jesus. And Saul at that point had been persecuting the church. Uh, he certainly had... Uh, given his blessing to the killing of Christians. Maybe he himself had killed Christians. We don't know, but he certainly was there as it took place, right? He was a threat to the church. And Jesus appears to him. And you remember what Jesus says. Saul, why are you persecuting who? Not the church. Not my people. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus says, why are you, Saul, persecuting me? Now, the idea there is somehow the suffering of Christ's people is so close to him, so much that he takes it as his own. He, he somehow is suffering 
with us. I don't want to say too much because I'm afraid I'm going to get into some heresy if I say too much. But you recognize what I mean here. He has associated himself so closely with us that our suffering is his. Friends, if this is true, then the implications of it are almost staggering. First, what can we expect, at least from an earthly perspective, if we are to do real Christian godly ministry? Suffering and toil and struggles. And that may take a whole lot of different ways and perspectives, and it may look in different ways to different folks. But the reality is, is it's what we can expect. If that's what our Lord experienced, then how can we expect to have any different? But, and there's always, thankfully, that great word there. As we suffer, note who sees it. Who takes an account of it? In fact, who suffers along with us? Friends, it is none other than he who is in us. He who died for us. Christ somehow experiences it all. And so guess what that means? It will not go undealt with. It will not be dismissed. It will not be ignored. God, in Christ, will judge. He will reconcile even our suffering. We can do Christian ministry, and we can experience whatever the world may throw at us, because we have the hope of glory, because we have this hope that Christ is with us, because we have the hope that he is the king and the judge. And also because we have that second qualification. Uh, It's fellowship in Christ's resurrection. Now, clearly I'm one week ahead of ourselves because next week is Easter Sunday, so we're going to hit this a lot harder next week, so I'll I'll leave the majority of it till then. But notice, just quickly, the, the power of church ministry. Where does it lie in verse 29? Where does it lie in chapter 2 and in verse 12? Says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. By the work of the Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now alive in you and in me and in us. And it is that power and that power alone that makes Christian ministry effective? Look, when you, before you come in here, I want to encourage you every Sunday morning before you come in here, pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in your heart. I know we're Presbyterian, and we don't talk about the Spirit a lot, but we're going to talk about Him today. May He be moving in your heart and in my heart as I preach to you. Because, friends, without His work, we're just spinning our wheels up here. I mean, I can present to you, I might be, I'm not, so let the record show that I'm not, but I might be Billy Graham or R.C. Sproul or whoever. But if the Spirit is not at work, then it's just going to be a noisy gong. It's not going to mean 
anything. I cannot take this word and apply it to your hearts, and neither can you. The Holy Spirit must do it. Thankfully, in Christ, that power is alive. He's alive in you. It's through the Holy Spirit that we can endure suffering, the power of the resurrection. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can continue in hope, even in this life, without His work, without God's authority and power, none of these things are possible. Yet in Christ, He has given us all this. He has given us even more. And so, godly ministry. Uh, It is Christian ministry, and it can happen, it can go forward to the glory of God's great name uh, because of Christ because of what he's doing in us so as we wrap up let me ask you I told you this was going to be the assignment so let me ask how are we doing at New Albany Presbyterian Church how godly really is our ministry to you and to the community and to the our people how godly how truly Christian are the things that you are listening to that claim to be Christian As you go out with your own Christian ministry in your life, is it based in these things? Is it a twofold ministry of gospel, of servanthood? Is it a twofold proclamation of Christ in you and the hope of glory? Is it a twofold qualification of fellowship in his suffering and fellowship in Christ's resurrection? Friends, my prayer for our church, my prayer for each of us as individuals, for myself is that God would be pleased to work this sort of ministry out here at New Albany Presbyterian Church. That he'd be pleased to work it out in the leadership of our church. That he'd be pleased to work it out in all of us as his people. And again, may all of it serve to build up his kingdom and to glorify his great name as we pray together. Father, we, we thank you. Uh, that you have given us this high and mighty call as your people to go out and to proclaim your excellencies, uh, to proclaim the the fullness of your word. Uh, And Father, we recognize that so much of what is before us in our world today uh, meets very few of these qualifications. And even in our own hearts, we recognize that we want to go out and we want to make it about ourselves. We want to be seen We want people to praise and rejoice over what we have done. And yet, Father, the truth is, the the only way any of this will be effective, the only way that, that you will really be proclaimed is if we are declaring the truth of what Christ has done, the fact that he is in us, and the fact that we have hope because he is alive today at your right hand. And so, Father, we pray, work in us in a mighty way by the power of your Spirit, Show us where we are doing these things well. Show us where we're doing them wrong. and Transform us. Transform us as a church. Transform us as individuals. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we conclude.